Have you ever stood at the threshold of something new? Um, maybe it was a new job, or maybe it was a new commitment, um, a big decision, something that you've never done before. I'm, I'm sure all of you have, because you would have had to live in some little uh, hole in the ground to have never experienced anything new. But there's something about when you are on the threshold of something brand new that, that is, uh, is, is scary, exciting, and uh, sometimes it, it causes us to almost want to retreat back into what is familiar and what is comfortable. But all of us in our lives are going to experience in some way or another that kind of an experience where, where you have to make a new decision, where you have to make a new commitment, you have to try a new relationship, or you have to engage in a new environment or something like that. And, and we stand at the thresholds. You haven't done it yet, you haven't committed, you haven't moved into that place yet, but you're standing at that threshold of something new. And today I want to talk to us about being led through uncertainty. Because every single person in this room, this is true whether you're a Christian or not, every single one of us in some way or another have experienced uncertainty. And if you haven't experienced a lot of uncertainty, more will come, I guarantee you. Where you're going to find yourself in that place where you're like, wow, what is about to happen? What is going to take place here and, and what are we going to experience and encounter in the next little while? That's just the nature of uncertainty. I'm going to look today at the people of Israel. They have been slaves at the, where we're picking up. Um, Exodus chapter 12 or so. We are going to look at that. And they have been slaves for 400 to 430 some years. In other words... Their kids, their great, uh, their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents, maybe even their great great grandparents have all known nothing but slavery. And so when you look at these people and you ask them to make decisions on their own, this isn't something they really know how to do because all they know is how to take orders. They know how to follow their masters, the Egyptians. They would have known their, their area. They would have known what was expected of them. But these people couldn't really make decisions on their own. And so here's a group of people who they have never experienced anything beyond their regular routine. And their routine would have probably looked something like this. Get up and do what your master tells you. And that was it. And that's all they knew. They didn't need to know anything, what was going to happen the day after, anything like that. They just needed to know what was expected of them and then to do it. And so the people of Israel have been in this slavery for 400 some years. And now God has sent this guy named Moses. And this is where some of you, if you're not you know, associated with Scripture, and you don't know the Bible that well, you're like, oh, I've heard this guy. I heard about this guy. A guy named Moses. He was, he was born an Israelite, but then he was adopted into the Egyptian family, and then he was kicked out of Egypt. And, and now God has called him and said, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to tell the Pharaoh, who would have been the leader of the Egyptians, I want you to go tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And again, if you're not very familiar with church, you've heard that line. It's been used in some way or another. Let my people go. And that's where that line comes from. God is saying, Moses, tell the Pharaoh, 
Those are my people, and I want them back. Tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And so Moses goes back to Egypt, a, a big risk for him because he wasn't very accepted there. And also the Israelites themselves didn't really ex- receive him as much of a leader. But here goes Moses back to Egypt to tell the people, let my people go. And so Moses goes back. Now, if you're thinking that the first thing that Pharaoh's going to do is say, oh, yeah, 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 go ahead, take them, take them, take them. They've been a nuisance anyway. No way. you got to understand, Pharaoh is building his city, and everything he's doing is being done by slaves. Now, if you run a company, one of your greatest overhead costs is labor. And all the things that come with it, you got to pay pensions, you got to pay, you know, all these different, I don't even know, you got to pay all this extra stuff. So one of your major overhead costs is just having people to work for you. Well, the Egyptians, they have eliminated all that cost. All their labor is being done by these slaves. And so the Pharaoh is like, you've got to be kidding. If I let these people go, I will cripple my economy. There's no way I'm letting these people go. And so then... You may know the story. God sends these ten plagues to convince the Pharaoh that he must do as God wants. Now, I'm going to read through these plagues. And I just want you to picture for a moment if you had experienced this yourself. This would have been a pretty rough month if you had gone through this. Now, what happened is this. Moses would say, if you don't let my people go, this is what's going to happen. And then it would happen. The Pharaoh would say, no way, I'm not letting the people go. And then that plague would happen. And then the Pharaoh would come back to Moses and beg Moses, take it away, take it away. You can take the people. And then as soon as the plague was over, Pharaoh would harden his heart again. And then the next plague came. And so that's, you know, you may be wondering, why did it take so many plagues? Well, that's the reasoning. So the first plague was this, the Nile into blood. Can you imagine the source of your water? What you bathe in, what you do your dishes in, what you drink, what you have, the source of your water, the lifeline to Egypt, suddenly flowing pure blood. Now, you know, we can make this gross if you want, and I kind of do, and so let's, let's have some fun with it. Um, picture just you bathing, you know, and just eyes closed, just woohoo, la la land, you know, and I don't know what you do, you probably your little ducky, and you're, you're just bathing, you're just having a joyous old time, and all of a sudden you open your eyes, and some people say that it wasn't really blood, it just appeared to be blood. I'm on the other side, I think when the Bible says that it turned into blood, it was blood. And, and just picture yourself just splashing away, having a great old time, and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, this is blood. And what do you wash off with? What do you clean yourself with? It's in your hair. It's, it's just disgusting. And you've got to wait a few days until the Pharaoh changes his mind and says, okay, great, take the people, take the people. And then Moses, you know, cures the water. And then you can go and clean yourself off. So that's the first one. That would be enough already for me. After that, it'd be like, okay, well, I shouldn't say that because I'm pretty stubborn, actually. The second one is frogs. Now, maybe you like frogs. I don't. But you read here that there are frogs everywhere. And so when you're eating your breakfast, you're having breakfast with the frogs. And when you're going to bed at night, you're going to bed at night with the frogs. And when you go for a walk, you're going for a walk with the frogs. There were frogs absolutely everywhere. Now you may like frog legs for a little while, but after a while, I'm guaranteeing you, this would be disgusting. Now can you imagine when these things all died off? Oof. 
That's the second plague. The next one was lice or knots. Knots. In our school where our kids go, we had a lice epidemic this year. At least that's what we felt like. Every single week, teachers are sending notes home going, there's been lice discovered in the school, and so please check your children's hair. And, and so Marie and I, we're just itching our hair, and some of you are going to start itching your hair now and head now because, like, oh, lice, you know, I can feel them, I can feel them. And these people just, lice would have been everywhere. The next one was Flies. When I was tree planting, we had to wear nets over our, our faces because the flies would just chew at your eyelids and, and under your hat, and they would chew in your ears, and, and flies were just absolutely horrible, and, and they hurt like crazy. And so here you now have a plague of flies. The fifth one was livestock disease. So all the livestock died. And, and what an amazing and sad experience that must have been where all of your and, you know, your food and your milk and all the livestock, all your, your protein is, is gone. It's dying off because of diseases. And, and again, we don't know the details, but I just assume that if people are eating diseased livestock, that they must have also gotten really sick. And the sixth one is boils. Boils broke out on all the people and on all the animal and all the livestock that was still alive. And so... These people would have been just in agony, going to their doctor. Can you imagine the lineup at the doctor's office? And you know, and you're trying to get in there, and you're like, doctor, I got boils. And you look at the doctor, and you're like, man, you're in no better shape than I am. I don't know about you, but when I go see my doctor, and if he's sick, I'm not too comfortable. You know, I don't want my doctor sick. I want my doctor healthy. You know, and so here you're looking at your doctor, and you're like, you're in the same predicament as I am in. Boils broke out on all the people. And then there was hail. And the Bible tells us that the, the people who by now feared God, they were wise. They told their servants and they told their, you know, the servants to bring in all the cattle because they believed by now that if God said it was going to hail, it was going to hail. But there are some who didn't. And they would leave their servants out there with the livestock. And of course, they were all killed because of the hail. Next was the locusts. It just swarms of locusts came, and whatever was left by the hail, what hadn't been destroyed by the hail, was now devoured by the locusts. And if you go on YouTube and places like that, you can watch little video clips, stop-motion videos of when locusts comes through. It literally, it ravishes the land. There is nothing left once the locust is done. Then the ninth plague was darkness. Darkness came over the entire region. And every single time the Pharaoh would say, okay, 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 I'm letting the people go. But then when the darkness lifted, when the boils healed, when the frogs vanished, when all that stuff was back to normal, he would, he would change his mind, he would harden his heart, and he would say, never mind, I'm not letting the people go. And ultimately this left, uh, went then to the last plague, and that was the death of the firstborn. And so now the, the firstborn of every single family in all of Egypt, all the Egyptians' families, the firstborn died. And you can only imagine the sadness and the tears and the agony as all of a sudden these people just come to realize this God that said to let my people go could literally wipe out all of Egypt if they did not obey him. These have not been good days for the Egyptians. And finally, Pharaoh gives in completely. And he allows the people of Israel to leave the land. Let's pick up in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was a short or shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. What a strange thing to write. Here you've just been set free. Here you've just been given your freedom that you've always wanted. And God's fear is not that the Philistines would defeat the Israelites. God's fear is that the Israelites would choose Egypt. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. Verse 18, So God led the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt armed for battle. And here's something I want you to not miss. These people, these Israelites, they would not have been warriors. The Israelites were not, you know, um, soldiers. The last thing the Egyptians would have ever wanted was for their slaves to know how to fight. You see, if you have a slave uprising, if you have a rebellion, it's much easier to crush a rebellion of laborers than it would be to crush a, a, a rebellion of warriors. And so these no, they're not armor. They're not soldiers. They're not, you know, um, uh, battle ready. These people are your average day laborers. Now, the author Moses tells us that they are armed for battle. Now, some of us may say, well, it says right there that they're armed for battle. Most commentaries agree that what Moses meant by that is that they would have left Egypt in an orderly fashion. They would have surely taken along some, you know, gear for war, swords and shields and stuff like that. But more importantly, it wasn't like every you know, Israelite was trying to squeeze out of the doors and just make their way out of Egypt. No, they left in an orderly fashion. At least that's what most commentaries suggest that that means. But I want us to just try to imagine, because I think most of us would have a hard time doing this. Picture yourself taking those first few steps of freedom. All of a sudden, you, you've, you've known nothing but your environment. All you've ever known is, you know, get up in the morning, lay bricks, or get up in the morning, do this, and you're used to the whip, you're used to being told what to do, and if things got really bad, you would get beat, you would have your food taken away, or whatever it might be. But now, all of a sudden, here you are, and you're taking your first step out of Egypt. And you're free. You're free. What an amazing thing that would have been. Verse 20 of chapter 13. After leaving Sakath, they encamped at Atham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud nor the pillar of fire by night left the, its place in front of of the people. So here we have these Israelites, they have this amazing presence of God. They have seen the power of God in Egypt. They saw what God could do through these plagues. They saw the might of God. And now here is the presence of God by fire at night and by cloud by day with them. Now before we get too hard on these poor Israelites, you have to understand they have not had much of an experience with God. Their 400 years in Egypt have been very much removed from God. They would have been told stories about God. They would have been told about the, um, about the different things that God had done through, you know, through Joseph and, and people like that. But these people have not had a lot of experience with God. 
And so here now they have witnessed the power of God. All that they've been told about God, they now see is true. And here is God present with them by fire at night and by cloud during the day. What an amazing experience that must have been. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Okay, listen to this. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to camp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now, even without reading more of the story, you begin to see that God's up to something. You don't just turn a convoy of 400,000 or 300,000 or whatever it might have been. You don't just turn a convoy of that many people around for nothing. You would think that there's something going on. And as, as we read this, we're now on the edge of our seat, or we at least should be. What is God up to? Because if God is willing to do that, he must have a plan of some sort. Verse 3. God explains himself to, uh, to Moses. Look at what he says. Pharaoh will think. God playing mind games here with Pharaoh. He's like, I know what Pharaoh's like. I know how he thinks. I know what he's going to do if I do this. And so look at what he does. He says, Pharaoh will think. The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. In other words, Pharaoh's going to think that God missed his turnoff. And Pharaoh's going to think that God's GPS is saying, recalculating, turn around as soon as you can and head back to your proper um, exit. That's what God's saying. That's what Pharaoh's going to think. And look at verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Okay, I'm sure by now Moses is listening very, very carefully. What? I thought Pharaoh was past tense. I thought we were done with Pharaoh. What do you mean Pharaoh is coming back into the story? Don't you hate it when things that you thought were behind you all of a sudden are in front of you again, and you're like, man, i got to deal with Pharaoh again? I want it behind me. I want it done. But look at what God says. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. What a plan. What an amazing plan. God knew what he was doing. But here's the catch, and I don't want you to miss this. Only Moses, as far as we know, knows God's plan. It's not like the rest of the Israelites are sitting there going, Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, I see where this is going. I see where this is going. I know what you're up to. They had no clue. They just realized one day they're walking east, next day they're walking west. What's going on? And God's saying, I've got a plan. I'm going to bring glory to myself and everyone who's going to see what happens after this will have no question that I am the Lord. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Again, try to picture this if you can. Some of you that are bosses, uh, you would probably have an easier time of this, but imagine Egypt two days after the Israelites are gone. It would have felt like a ghost town. Imagine the foreman's walking out and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, who, who do I yell at? And 
Who's going to build these unfinished structures? Who's going to finish this massive job that we started? And so the foreman goes to the supervisor who goes to his supervisor who then goes to a board or it ends up at the CEO's desk, which is the pharaoh saying, what do we tell our foremans to do? Because there's nobody to work. Everybody's gone. It's like these job sites have just vanished of all the people that, are, that used to be there working, all the noise of clanging, of making bricks, and all this kind of stuff. It would have been dead silence. It would have been a weird place to be. And Pharaoh regrets what he's done. And he says, what, you know, what have we done? We've you know, ruined Egypt. And he hardens his heart, and God hardens his heart, and he goes back after the Egyptians. Now look at what happens next. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached... Okay, so Pharaoh gets his whole army ready and he sets off after the Israelites who are now up against the Red Sea and on mountains on both sides and the only way in is from the rear. The Israelites looked up. (laughs) You ever been there? Where you thought something was over only to one day look up and say, oh my goodness. There it is again. The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't at that moment go, what have we done? One thing was very clear for the Israelites. Pharaoh was here to crush a rebellion. And they must have known Now, to know that when a pharaoh comes to crush a rebellion, that would mean that probably half of them would be murdered. To make sure that the people would remember, for years and years and years to come, do not ever try that again. And so the people are terrified. Sometimes, even a familiar bad situation is better than an unknown situation. Sometimes even a familiar bad situation is better than an unknown situation. This is why some of you haven't quit your jobs. Not that there's a lot to go around, but some of you who have been stuck at certain jobs and you're like, man, I just can't stand this job. I would so much rather work somewhere else. But even though your situation is bad, it is better than not knowing if you'll get another job. This is why some of you haven't changed insurance companies. This is why some of you still bank at the same bank and have your mortgage at the same place. You've heard that there are other places that give better insurance, or you've heard that there are better mortgages available, but you are more comfortable in your bad situation than you are in your uncertain one. Most people are more comfortable with a familiar bad situation than they are with a bad one. Hence the saying... Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Because this is true for all of us. We would rather be comfortable in what we know, even though we don't like it, than to be led into a situation, to be led into a situation that we are uncertain about. And that's exactly where the Israelites find themselves right now. They are like, we thought this Pharaoh guy was over. What's going to happen now? And they are terrified. How would you react? Yes, you've hated getting whipped. You hated being overworked. Yes, you longed for the day when you would be 
out of Egypt and free. Yes, you heard about God for His chosen people. And, and yes, you heard that there was a promised land. And, and you loved all those things. And you longed for all those things. But you didn't know it would be like this to get there. How would you react to a situation like this? Look at what the Israelites do. Verse 11. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out of the desert, out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Look at verse 12. They start making stuff up. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. And this next line just sums it up so well. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. We could sum this verse up this way. It would have been better to stay in our bad situation than to be led into an uncertain one. So let me ask you, have you ever felt uncertain about something? It's a horrible feeling. It's just this questioning of, did I make the right decision? Did I purchase the right thing? Did I fire the right person? Did I hire the wrong person? Did you quit the wrong job? Did you, did you start the right job? Is this really what you should be doing? Can you really afford this? Should you really be in a relationship with this person? And there's, there's these questions, there's this uncertainty. You're just not totally sure. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's not a very comfortable place to be. There's something about uncertainty that makes most of us panic. When we are uncertain about something, our survival instinct wants to kick in, and all we want back is our confidence. We don't even want it to be better. We just want to know that it's under control. And so when we begin to un feel uncertain about something, we're willing to say, it would have been better to die in Egypt than out here even though we hated it in Egypt. And all we want back is our confidence. At least in Egypt, I knew what was coming. Here, I don't have a clue. You see, the thing is, I don't think that this has anything to do with our belief in God. I don't think that for the Israelites, this even had anything to do with their belief in God. I think they believed they believed that God could do the things that God said He could do. Why? Because they saw what God did. They had witnessed firsthand all the power of God. They witnessed the ten plagues. They saw what He could do. They saw that He was powerful. They saw the pillar of fire. They saw the cloud. They knew that God was there. They believed that God was present. They believed that God was powerful. And I think if someone would have pulled an Israelite out of that situation and brought them back into a comfortable environment like we are here today, read them this story and said, do you think that God can save those people? I believe without a question that every single one of them would say, absolutely. But in that high stakes environment, everything seems different. Now, this is dumb, but I can't really do it, but... I, one thing I believe about myself is that I can stand on the edge of this stage. You guys are going to be amazed with my toes sticking over the edge. Ta-da! And I won't fall. I believe this. I'm doing it. Okay? 
I've done it lots of times, and some of you worry every Sunday I'm going to step off and make a mistake, and if I do, I know you'll laugh. But, uh, you know, I believe that I can do that. Now, let's change the stakes. Let's raise the stakes. Let's take and elevate this church 100 feet. Okay? Now me standing back here, and if you would ask me, Ike, do you believe that you can stand on the edge of that stage? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe it, but I don't trust myself now to do it. Because the stakes have changed. You see, if I fall off of here, well, big whoop de doo I could jump off this. But 100 feet, now the stakes are high. Now if I mess up, now suddenly it's not my belief that's a problem, it's the fact that I don't trust. And I think for these Israelites, it was the same way. They did not know that they could trust God in this situation. They believed that God could get them through this, but because of their lack of experience with God, they did not trust that God would actually save them through this. So here's your takeaway for today. The only way to gain trust is through experience. The only way you are going to gain trust in God is if you are willing to allow Him to lead you into and through uncertainties. But here's the problem most of us Christians have. The minute we are faced with uncertainty, we are on our knees begging God to take it away. The moment life is a little bit different than what we thought it would be, we're over here going, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. But God, please remove this. I don't want to experience this. I don't want to be. I know, God, you can do all things. I believe, and so I know you can take this away, so please take it away. And the first thing we want to do is remove ourselves from those kind of situations. You see, when the Israelites were in Egypt, they had learned to survive. They didn't need to trust God because they could maneuver their life to, to be able to be confident in what was going on. They could maneuver their life in such a way that they could kind of predict what would happen. They knew how to avoid the whip. And they knew that if they got the whip, they knew how bad it was going to hurt. They knew how to get their, through their day without too much pain and suffering. They had figured out the system on how to survive. But now, out here in the desert, when the stakes were so much higher, they knew that they could only do one thing, and that was to trust that God would do what they believed He could do. And I think that's where it falls apart for many of us. It's not that we don't believe in God. There, there's probably... Very few, if anyone in this room, who if I would say, do you believe that God can see you through whatever situation you face? Probably every single person in this room would say, absolutely. So it wasn't an issue of belief. For these Israelites, it was now saying, and I will trust in what I believe when everything is at stake. Here's what I'm convinced about. See, you're going, oh, I love the sermon. Amen. amen. Even though none of you say amen, you're thinking to yourself, amen. These Israelites, shame on them. They should have just trusted God and stood there and said, nah, 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 come get us because you're about to go down. 
Because I believe God can do whatever. And, and we're all here now in our comfortable situation, reading back almost at the beginning of the Bible, going, why didn't they just trust? So to make it uncomfortable in here, which I also enjoy doing, here's what I want us to believe, uh, understand, and I believe this with all my heart. If God is willing to take a convoy of Israelites of thousands of people, if God is willing to turn that convoy of people around in order that He can glorify Himself, in order that He can teach that He and He alone is God, and in order for Him to teach the Israelites that they must trust Him in everything. I believe if God is willing to turn a convoy of people around to do that, I think He's willing to do that here in this church. So I don't know what 2014 holds for us. But I'm praying and saying, God, if you want to glorify yourself by leading us into uncertainty, do it. If you want to glorify yourself and if you want to make sure that everyone in Leamington knows that you are the Lord because of how you lead this church through uncertain times, give her. Oh, those are easy words to preach. And you guys are all too scared to say amen because you're hoping it won't happen. Those are easy words to preach. Those are easy words to say. I could look at all of you and say, don't you believe that? Don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the first crisis happens and we're out of our environment and we're going, God, 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 God. Oh, whoa, 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 Lord. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what we do. This is not the kind of church we are. Don't you remember, Lord? This is our background. Silly God, you must have forgot. What are you doing leading us into this kind of environment? What are you doing bringing these kind of people? What are you doing, Lord? And God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm totally uncomfortable in your uncertainty. Because I'm certain of everything. And what an amazing experience for us. To be able to take this year and say, God, if there is something you want to accomplish, to glorify yourself and to make sure that everyone knows that you are the Lord, then we are open to be led into uncertainty. That's true for us as a church, but what about you as an individual? God may be leading you into something. And God may have already started leading you into, into something that you are absolutely uncertain how it's going to unfold. But know this, that God can lead you into uncertainty and He can lead you through it if you remain faithful and trust in what you believe about God. God has promised us that He will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised us that He will always be faithful, that He will always be loving, that He is all-powerful. He has promised us all these things. And if we believe those things, I challenge you when you come into your uncertain moment to trust in the things that you believe about God. Amen? That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself. Because I'm a chicken. I love the idea of doing new things, but man, I'm, I'm a chicken when it comes to some of this stuff. But I want to learn more and more that in no matter what the situation, that I want to trust that God can do what I believe He can do, even when the stakes are high.
So let me pray for you. Because again, this is an easy sermon to preach. This is an easy sermon for you to listen to. But there's something about in that moment saying, okay, God, I will follow through with this. So let's pray. Father God, I just ask now that in our time here this morning that you would reveal to us in our hearts because I believe that you speak to our hearts and to our spirits and that you would just reveal to us again who you are. Because I believe with all my heart, Lord, that it's when we lose sight of who you are that we have a hard time believing that you can do what you say you can do. And so my prayer for each one of us is that we would be overcome today by your presence. Knowing that when we face uncertainty, that you are never uncertain. That when we face fear, that you are never afraid. When we have doubts, everything is clear to you. When we have questions we can't answer, you already know the answer. Give us strength. Give us patience with you, God. Because I think sometimes we want to hurry you along and we want things to be done a certain way. And so I pray, God, for those in this room who are right now in an environment where everything is uncertain. Help them in their time of pain, in their time of doubt, in their time of questioning. But I pray, Lord, that at this moment they would resort back, not to themselves, but that they would resort back to what they believe about you. You are a good God. Your love is never failing. And that we would place our trust completely in what we believe about you. So may we surrender ourselves completely giving ourselves wholly to you this morning, allowing you to lead us wherever you want to lead us in 2014. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.